Today is Pastor Appreciation Day. I want you to know that I appreciate Glenn and Jason. I have received the greatest gift ever for Pastor Appreciation. It wasn't signed by an individual, but I took it that it was from all of you. It was a card that read from First Baptist Monroeville, uh, as our gift to you on Pastor Appreciation, you have been given an additional hour of preaching this Sunday morning. And I would cry, but I've already shed many tears of gratitude over that gift. And I will use it to the glory of God this morning. Thank you so very much. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14. One of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire. I should have arranged for us to have the, the music played during the offertory this morning. It's the story of Eric Liddell, who was born in China to missionaries in China from Great Britain. He would go on to become a missionary to China himself, and was a, a wonderful and devoted Christian. But what he is most well known for, as the, the story of the movie goes, was his ability as a runner. He was a devoted Christian, and at the same time, he was the Usain Bolt of his day. Now, that day was a long day ago, uh, but nonetheless, he was extremely fast. Because of his Christian convictions, when he went to the Olympics on behalf of Great Britain, he skipped his best race, which was the 100-meter dash, because the qualifying heats for it were on a Sunday, and he wouldn't run on a Sunday. So instead, the only race that he could be a part of because of the heats on Sunday was the, the Ironman sprint, the 400 meters. And this was not his best race at all, but he went on, as the, the movie and story goes, to win the gold medal in a world record time uh, at, the, at, that, at those Olympics in the 400 meter dash. There's a scene in the movie where Liddell's sister is chastising him because of the silliness of his running and how it interfered with God's real purpose for his life, which was missions work in China. And maybe the most famous quote from the movie and from his life is his response to his sister. He said, I know God has a purpose for my life, but I also know he made me very fast. And I feel God's pleasure when I run. Eric Liddell knew God's purpose for his life and his running and his service to the Lord and his missions work were not contradictory at all they all work together for the glory of God in a similar way to Eric Liddell Paul was one who was very confident in knowing God's purpose for his life we're going to see it in our text today a text that is about God's purpose for your life. 
God's purpose for our life, my life. God's purpose for, for your life. Is there anything that you do that makes you feel God's pleasure? That makes you say, this is what God made me for. For many believers, questions like those are hard. Hard to answer. To be very honest, for many believers, questions like that and a subject like this are just frustrating because they don't know God's purpose for their life. Maybe you don't know God's purpose for your life. Or maybe you just think you know God's purpose for your life. Or maybe you know, but you've lost sight of God's purpose for your life. Well, this is the passage for all of us. So I want us to read it. Uh, you follow along as I begin to read in verse 14 of Romans 15. My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. My purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Paul knew, as is evident in this text, God's purpose for his life. In the first part of verse 16, he said it was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. The word minister means servant. He was declaring that as he understood it, God's purpose for his life was to be a servant of Christ to a particular group of people. In this case, this group of people was the Gentile people of the world, the non-Jewish people of the world. And it's not only in this passage that you see Paul talking about this. In multiple occasions or on multiple occasions in Paul's writings in the New Testament, he will make reference to the fact that he understood God's purpose for his life to be 
the one that God would use to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. It went all the way back to his conversion when God said to Ananias, who would help Saul at that time, that I have chosen this man to be my light to the Gentiles. For so long, the light of God had been solely focused on the Jews, and the Gentiles that benefited from it simply did so because they were around the Jews. But Paul would be the one that God would use to carry his truth to the vast majority of the people of the world of that time and today, the Gentile people. In the second part of verse 15, he said about this, that this was the grace that had been given me by God. We typically think about grace as that which saves, and it does. We think about God saving us by His amazing grace. Most people maybe think about grace as being God's offer of salvation, but from the way that Paul uses the word here and from the way it's used elsewhere in the New Testament, we must understand that the grace of God is more than just a one-time thing. It's more than merely an offer of salvation. God's grace that saves us is also the grace that equips us for living out the salvation that he's given us. As a part of the package of grace that God gives to all those he saves by it, he gives them their purpose within that and their ability to carry out that purpose. When Paul spoke of the grace that had been given him by God, he went straight from that in verse 16 and said, this grace that's been given me by God is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And then in the next part of verse 16, he says, serving as a priest of God's good news. A priest was one who was an intermediary between God and the people. A priest then represented God to the people and then would represent the people to God. When Paul says that the purpose for his life was to serve as a priest of the good news, he's giving to us the image or the, the, the picture of him representing God to the people and on behalf of God giving to the Gentile people the good news, the gospel. This message of who Christ was and who Christ is, this message of what Christ had done in order to save people, even the Gentile people. In verse 16, the next part, he said, my purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So in the, the, the previous part of verse 16, Paul pictured himself on behalf of God serving the gospel to Gentiles. And then in this next part of verse 16, Paul presents the picture of him presenting back to God the Gentiles who would be saved by the gospel that he had given them. 
and an offering, a, a sacrifice to God that would be acceptable to him. Not acceptable because of what Paul had done, but acceptable because the very Holy Spirit of God had sanctified that offering, those Gentiles. Sanctified means set apart or made holy. Paul was very successful in fulfilling God's purpose for his life. In God's eyes, which is really all that matters, he was obviously very successful. One bit of evidence to that statement of fact. God only used him to write half the New Testament. Think about that for a moment. But in anyone's eyes, Paul was a success. Multiple studies and papers have been done and have been written by non-believing people about the comet that Paul was. About the, the shining shooting star that Paul was. People that aren't even a part of the Christian faith are amazed at what this one man did. And the impact that he's still having on the world today some 2,000 years later. Paul, therefore, was successful spiritually, but he was also successful physically, visibly, numerically. And that visible numerical success is a reason for boasting. A reason for bragging. I'm sure there are some of us that without thinking would say, I wish I could be as successful as Paul. But what sort of person do you think you'd be as, if you were as successful as Paul? I know exactly the kind of person I'd be. Twelve foot tall. If I had success like him and anybody ever questioned me, I would say, do you know what I have done? Just shut up and get out of the way. And that wouldn't be right. And were it not for a thorn in the flesh that God gave Paul, he may have been that way. It was to keep him humble. Paul was a man like we are, a person like we are. I am sure that he was tempted to get full of himself. Anybody who experiences success like this would face, at least internally, uh, that demon, that temptation. But Paul didn't brag about himself, did he? He bragged about God. He boasted in Christ Jesus. We see it in verse 17. He says, therefore, I have reason to boast. And he did, but I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus. He knew that whatever he had done was through the power of Christ. I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus 
regarding what pertains to God because he understood that it wasn't him doing it. It wasn't something special in him. It was a special God who was in him and doing it. In verse 18, he said, For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. When Paul spoke of his accomplishments, it was never in the vein of here's what I've done, but here's what Jesus has done through me. Paul never got over the fact that were it not for the intervening grace of God, he would have been the biggest opponent to Christianity, not the biggest proponent of Christianity. I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Who made all of the Gentiles convert? Was it Paul? Was it the, uh, the great cleverness of his preaching? Was it his eloquence? Was it his people-charming skills? No, he said, God has made the Gentiles obedient. God had done a work that only he can do to make them obedient by word and by deed. In verse 19 he says, It was by the power of miraculous signs and wonders. I often think, and I'm only half joking, well, anybody could get people to respond if they could do a few miracles. I think I'd have them walk in the aisles left and right if I could heal the lame. Raise the dead? What if we had a funeral and I raised a dead person? Our church would be full next Sunday morning. I wouldn't have to visit a soul. We could charge for tickets to be bought. Forget fundraising. But it wasn't his power, it was the power of God confirming this new message, relatively new message that Paul was preaching. He said it was done by the power of God's Spirit. So Paul didn't boast about himself. He bragged on Jesus. Flip over real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. By my count, I have an hour and 15 minutes left to preach. You can't eat fried chicken till 12 o'clock on Sunday anyway. There's something biblical about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, he says, I want you to consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Some of us are walking testimonies of that, aren't we? And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant, despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing. To bring to nothing nothing what is viewed as something. Why? Why? So that no one can boast in his presence. 
But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. It's not because of you that you're in Christ Jesus. Not because you're smarter, more spiritual, because of him. Who became God-given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Look on into chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, the good news, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I'm guessing that one of the complaints about Paul would have been he always preaches the same doggone thing. The cross of Christ. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. No confidence there. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Look to chapter 3 in that same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Here's the way he puts it here. Who then is Apollos, and who is Paul? They're just servants through whom you believed, and each one has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Not Paul or Apollos. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now back to Romans 15. Well, you can turn back there. I'm not going that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul put it this way. I will most gladly boast about my weaknesses. When he did boast about himself, it was about his weaknesses. Try that out for fun. We're just the opposite, aren't we? We tell people about the good things that we do, and we keep to ourselves our sins and our struggles, our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. We ought to be telling folks about them keeps us accountable it's a blessing to them uh, it, it's it's a blessing to us in Galatians six fourteen, Paul says as for me I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ there are a couple of lessons for us here about success I think they're super important lessons in our day first lesson If we are successful in serving God, if we have any ability whatsoever, spiritually speaking, if we have any accomplishments in spiritual areas, it isn't because of us. It's because of God. The scripture says, what do we have that we haven't been given. It's not for our glory. It's for the glory of God. It's not so that people would be impressed with us. Or so that we can be impressed with ourselves. And I got some of that right in here. It lives right in there. If I can do something well, I won't tell folks about it, but I want them to know it. 
And if they don't know it, I want them to know it. It's to boast about him. Second lesson. There are different types of success in what we would acknowledge or what the world would call Christianity. There are different types of success in what the world would view as Christianity. The first type is the kind we've been talking about with Paul. Visible, the kind anybody can see and agree on. Physical, numerical success. Success as the world measures it. Paul had this kind of success. Peter did, Moses did, Joseph, Joshua, David, Solomon, Daniel, Martin Luther did, Whitfield and Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, Rick Warren has this kind of success. John MacArthur, John Piper, David Platt are recently elected president of the International Mission Board for which I praise God. Jim Cymbaleth, Beth Moore, Casting Crowns, Chris Tomlin. But Joel Osteen has this kind of success too. Even more so. So do T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Rod Parsley, Creflo Dollar, Paula White, Joyce Meyer, etc., 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 etc. Are these people truly successful? Is this kind of success all that there is to success? I think you know at least the answer that I would suggest. Physical, visible, numerical success doesn't guarantee that one is biblically successful. The world measures success the wrong way. And so do most churches. So do most of us. We look on the outside like Samuel when a new king was to be anointed from the sons of Jesse. Now, this kind of success may be part of success, real success even, but it may not. That leads me to tell you that a second type of success we must acknowledge is success as God measures it. Spiritual success, inward, eternal success. Remember, folks, God, unlike us, looks on the inside. He looks at the heart. I would argue that the first group of people I mentioned have both kinds of success. Outward success, 
visible success, even success as the world measures it. But they're successful in this way as well as God measures it, at least as far as I could determine. And, and I'm not infallible by any means. Some of you would love to say amen to that right now. But church, there are some believers who only have this kind of success. The kind that everybody can't see, but God does. I don't know how many people outside this county know him, but I would take ending my life being as successful as Mark McCullough. I don't know how many people outside of a couple of counties know him, but I'd love to end my life being as successful as Daniel Gandy. People like this are just as successful as those who have the kind of success that everybody can see. You know how many people my daddy will preach to this morning? About 30. About 30. Nobody's asking him to write a book. He's not going to be on TBN preaching or anywhere else for that matter. He's not even being podcast for all the world to see. Jesus was a success in only this way. Did you know it during his time on earth? How can you count a man as being earthly successful when the people he came to save killed him? That's worse than getting fired. He had about 120 followers at the time of his death. In our view and measure of success, that's not a lot, especially when you consider he was the son of God. Stephen wasn't real successful in a worldly way. It wasn't this way. How about Abraham? God made him a bunch of promises, but he never really experienced the vast majority of them. None of the prophets were successful in the first kind of success. We've been reading about them. They were all miserable failures. If they pastored many modern churches, they would be shown the door yesterday. Everybody was leaving. None of the people identified as the people of God liked them. They hated them. They killed them. Adoniram Judson and William Carey weren't real successful for years on the mission field. One waiting 13 years before they saw one convert. The other one seven. Jim Elliott, they killed him and his companions and probably ate them. Most faithful pastors are only successful in this way. Most faithful music ministers, youth pastors, most faithful missionaries, deacons, Christians, church members like you and me are only successful in this way. 
not everyone will have success like Paul. That's why we know him as Paul. God had a unique call on his life, a unique purpose for his life. It was a unique time of getting the gospel out. Everybody's not going to do that. If everybody that serves God sets out to be like Paul, going to be a lot of disappointed Christians. I mean, we're going to be in the fetal position. You know, it's just not going to work out that way for, for most folks. God determines and controls who succeeds like this. Really, he does. Success as the world would measure it, even godly success in that way, is something that's ultimately in the hands of God. And this is something that I've learned. And some of you find this hard to believe. First couple of churches I pastored had tremendous numerical success. And I still preach just the same way. Still pastor just the same way. Why the difference, at least in the here and now? Well, probably about old Micah and God saying, Micah, it was never because you were a better preacher than anybody else or you were young and winsome and handsome and <laughs> not that I thought that. Cheryl told me I was handsome one time. The vast majority of believers don't and won't ever succeed like the Apostle Paul. But folks, you can still be successful. You hear me? You can still be successful. I think the question is this. What's the standard or measure of success that we're using here? Is it to be like Paul or Billy Graham or Rick Warren, Chris Tomlin? I mean, really, is that the measure that you want to use? Then how many people are going to be successful? About a handful. R. Kent Hughes wrote a wonderful book, speaking of success, a, a great man of success in, in both these ways. Wrote a wonderful book called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. And he said, we use the wrong measures for success as the people of God. He said, here's the way you measure success biblically. Here's the way we should measure it in terms of faithfulness, serving, loving, believing, prayer, holiness, and attitude. And even at that, some of us think, well, I'm not very successful. And that may very well be the case. I feel those same convictions. Look a little more about Paul's success, second part of verse 19. He said, as a result, I fully proclaim the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. That was a long way from where Christianity began to Europe, what would be modern-day Yugoslavia. He had, he had gone all of those places and established churches and seen believers one. He had done what God wanted him to do. He had fulfilled or at least was fulfilling God's purpose for his life. And look at a little more about his purpose in verse 20 and 21. He said, my aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. 
every preacher, every pastor has shared this dream at least secretly with Paul. I'd love to just start something new <laughs> and, and, and start from there. But for Paul, that's not the calling on my life. That, that was Paul's calling, though. That was God's purpose for his life. He is a pioneer missionary to carry the gospel to places where the gospel had not been taken. It wasn't that people that built on another foundation were wrong. It was simply that this was his role. We saw that in the 1 Corinthians 3 passage. My job was to plant. Apollos' job was to water. He said, but as it is written in verse 21, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And very quickly, I would add as a point of application, I pray that God would raise up people, young people, children in our church who will feel this call of God on their life to carry the gospel to places where it has not been carried. And it's going to take sacrifice to do it because among the people that have not been reached with the gospel in our modern world, none of them want us to be there. It will cost lives. It will cost it all. But is God's glory and his good news worth it or not? You know the answer. God's purpose for Paul's life is why he wrote what he wrote in Romans. In verses 15 and 16, he said, Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. It's why he wrote what he had written in this letter. It's why he wrote boldly about sin early in the letter, about justification by faith alone all the way through the letter. It's why he wrote boldly about sanctification, about the power of grace that it not only forgives our sin but gives us victory over it in our lives. It's why he wrote boldly about the sovereignty of God in salvation. It's why he wrote boldly about the Jews and to the Jews. It's why he wrote boldly about God's plan to save the Gentiles. It's why he wrote boldly about unity in chapter 14 and 15. It's why he wrote repetitively. That's what he said, I've written these things to remind you. They had heard this stuff before, but he wanted to remind them, and that's the role of the, the teacher of God, the preacher for God, the one who speaks for God, to remind the people. Now listen, he didn't write like this because the people at Rome were stupid or slow or incapable or apathetic. He said as much in the first verse of the passage, my brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you're full of goodness. They were morally good. He didn't write to these like he did to the church at Corinth, telling them about how awful morally they were. Well, he makes no mention of it. He talks about their moral superiority. He said, I'm convinced that you're filled with all knowledge, that you're not just living right, but you're doctrinally sound. And that you're able to instruct one another. You could teach each other. He said, you could probably teach me. You, you can counsel one another. So he didn't write what he wrote and, and the way he wrote it because something was wrong with him. He wrote it because it was God's purpose for his life to be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles, Gentiles like these. He wrote it because God's purpose for his life was to be a priest holding out the good news to these people at Rome, reminding them of it. He wrote it because God's purpose of his life 
was to offer these Gentiles and the church at Rome back to God as an acceptable sacrifice. Paul felt God's pleasure when he did this. This was God's purpose for his life. It was crystal clear to him and he lived it out. Now I said I was given an extra hour. I'm not going to take it, I promise. We're wrapping up right now. I was joking about that. But I did think it would take a few minutes extra this morning. Don't leave me now. There wasn't a football game on yesterday or played Friday night that got over in 45 minutes. But what about us? What is God's purpose for your life? Maybe you know and you're doing it. Maybe you know when you aren't. For most of you, I'm guessing that either you don't know or you're not sure. The question is, how can I know it? Any of you think, hey, it would be easy to know with confidence like Paul if God just gave us a Damascus Road experience. I mean, you'd have to be a real moron not to get it when God says in physical light form here's what I want you to do but most of us don't have that kind of experience still you can be just as sure as Paul just as sure as Eric Liddell when it comes to God's purpose for your life I'm dead serious I promise God may not have given you as many people as he gave Paul. Or he may not have given you world-class ability like he gave Eric Liddell. But he has given people and ability to every believer. Christian, God has given you people. You with me? He's given you people. Family. Children. extended family a friend or friends co-workers or a co-worker peers classmates clients for some of you it's just acquaintances you run into people all the time you think by accident but it's not an accident at all God's bringing them into your path people he's given you may be your church a choir deacons deacons that's a, a, a gift in itself isn't it being given deacons and deacons being given pastors a Sunday school class a men's or women's group maybe God's given you certain kind of people think about it this way God gives some people the down and out. God gives some people the poor. God gives to some of us the rich and powerful. To some of you, he gives people from broken homes. Just keep showing up in your life. People that have experienced tragedy. Some of you think God just gives me crazy people. Well, that may be God's calling on your life. To some, God has given you 
children, the elderly, shut-ins, the sick, the hurting, those with addictions, bikers, truckers, hunters, fishermen, ball players, piano players, preppies, hippies, on and on I could go. Maybe God's just given you one, maybe it's 101, maybe it's 1,000, maybe it's tens of thousands. The point is, God has given you people. For me, it's a why that's way out of my league. It's a daughter that's pretty like her mom and just as sweet. It's three boys. For me, it's parents and in-laws, a sister and her family. For me, whether you like it or not, it's you. It's this church. He's given me preacher boys. He's given me various men. He's given me a few ball teams. For you, you got to figure it out. You have them. He's given them to you. Our task is to see ourselves as ministers of Jesus to them. Priests of the gospel to them. With the goal of presenting them as sacrifices or offerings back to God by the power of God. Listen, Christian, don't get caught up on results. Leave the results to God. Get caught up on serving God by serving them. Let's do it. Let's go to it. This is God's purpose for our life. Christian, God has also given you abilities, spiritual gifts, talents, interests. They aren't for your own enjoyment or benefit. Did you know that? They are for God. They are for others. They are for reaching and teaching them. They are for making them disciples, them being our people, the people God has given me or you. What's your ability? And don't you give me, well, I don't have any. Yes, you do. You make God a liar when you say that. Now, I can preach. That may be arguable to you. Teach. I can study. I can read. I can remember just a little bit. Coach just a little bit. All that's falling into question day by day. I can love and encourage men and boys. There's a lot I can't do. I mean a lot. It's not God's purpose for my life. Those other things are. You don't have to be able to run. You don't have to be able to preach or teach or sing or write. Maybe you can. Use it. Do it. Maybe you can't, but you can do something. Cook. Clean. Drive. Talk. Listen. Play. Pray. Maybe you can love, forgive, be patient. Not one of mine, by the way. Hospitable. Maybe you can lead. Maybe you can encourage. Maybe you can correct. Maybe you have a great ability to speak the truth in love. 
Maybe you can give or play sports or play an instrument, help, assist, follow. Maybe in the words of my brother Lecrae, you can play the background. Maybe you can ride a motorcycle, fix a car, fix anything like Scott Holmes. Maybe you can manage, maybe you can hunt or fish, maybe you can shop for bargains, maybe you can sew, maybe you can go, maybe you can garden, maybe you can babysit, maybe you can greet, maybe you can smile. Maybe you can be a pretty face. You do know that's KJ's only purpose in the choir. He's confided in me. The choir needs me for beauty. Said Glenn had asked him about that a long time ago. Figure it out. What do you like? What are you good at? When do you feel God's pleasure? Then do that. Get to it. Keep doing it for God and for the people that he's given you. This is God's purpose for your life. To use the abilities or the ability he has given you for the people he has given you. To minister to them for Jesus. To serve them the gospel. To offer them back to God. This is God's purpose for your life. And here's the thing about God's purpose for your life. It all begins with Jesus. With having a relationship to him. With belonging to him. With having salvation through him. Are you turning from your sins? And trusting on Jesus to save you. To forgive you of your sins. To make you right with God. To give you eternal life. Have you done this? If you haven't, come to Jesus today. I'm not telling you walking forward will save you. In whatever way you do it, do it this way. Come to him with repentance and faith today. Don't delay. Find God's purpose for your life. Because life without Jesus is purposeless.